Oh, it's my privilege to look with you now at uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 14 to 36. That was just read for us a moment ago. Can I encourage you to have your Bible open? Because we're going to read it again, Luke 11, 14 to 36. Try to think about what it means. Think about how it applies to us as Christians. Let's ask God for his help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, do please help us now as we look at your word to understand more of who Jesus is and where we stand in regard to him, that we might respond rightly to him. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, There are some people who hate Christianity. Uh, You tell them you're a Christian, they will be rude to you. They'll tell you you're an idiot. They'll tell you you're brainwashed. Uh, My daughter had that experience a couple of days ago. Someone told her she's brainwashed. Uh, They'll say, um, you're one of those people who causes all the wars in the world and all the problems in the world. Uh, I was sitting next to a bloke at a party just, uh, uh, just last week and the entire night, every opportunity, he would come up with some barb against me for being a Christian with this big smile on his face, waiting for me to bite so he could prove that I'm one of the problem people in the world for my fundamentalism. That There are people genuinely opposed to Christianity. But most of the non-Christians I meet, they're not like that. They're not angry or belligerent about Christianity. They don't buy the media nonsense that Christians are all homophobic homophobic paedophiles or whatever it is they say. They, they know that we Christians are ordinary people just like they are. Maybe, you know, maybe a bit wowserish, a bit prudish, something like that, but, but they have nothing particularly against us. For most of the non-Christians I meet, they, they don't outright reject Jesus. They wouldn't outright reject Christianity. In fact, most of them would say that there probably is a God. I mean, the world didn't just make itself and... There's such a thing as love and and truth and and right and wrong and good and evil and morality. These are real things. Many people will admit that Jesus probably existed and that he was a unique character, made a big impression on people. Most of the non-Christians I meet, they haven't made any conscious decision to reject Jesus. But they haven't made any decision to accept Jesus either. They wouldn't say that Jesus is the Lord, the king of their lives. They wouldn't say that they are hopeless sinners who can only be rescued from the judgment of God by the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. All that religious stuff is just not something that kind of occurs to them. It's not something that they think about. It's not something they're interested in. They're not against Jesus, but they're not for him either. As far as religion and Christianity are concerned, they're, they're neutral. Or to, to use a World War II illustration, they're Switzerland. You know what happened with Switzerland? They, they didn't side with anybody. They're, they're Switzerland when it comes to Jesus. They haven't taken a position. They haven't chosen sides. The one thing they don't want is for me or anyone else to to force them to decide, to force my opinions down their throat. They want to be left alone, undecided. Have you ever met people like that? I'm sure you have, haven't you? That's many, many people now, isn't it? They, They say they're neutral about Jesus, undecided. And they don't want to make a call one way or the other. They're just happy as they are, leave them alone, undecided. It's pretty common in modern culture, isn't it? All right, well, let's have a look at Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 and verse 14. Um, Jesus drives a demon out from a man. 
Uh, this demon had made him mute. He couldn't, couldn't speak, couldn't say anything. But Jesus drives out the demon and suddenly the man is able to speak. Understandably, many people see this and they go, wow, that's amazing. Luke chapter 11 and verse 14. Have a look with me. Luke chapter 11 and verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. I know I keep saying it, and I know you've read the stories a thousand times before, but it is amazing, isn't it? Just take a second to stop and think, this is not ordinary. This is not something that you or I could do. Don't know if you've met anybody mute. There are a couple of mute people who come to our church. They have thousands and thousands of dollars and hundreds and hundreds of hours of speech therapy and all kinds of other things to try to help them. You can't just walk up to them and say, stop being mute, start talking. It's just not something that we can do. Jesus is uniquely powerful and people are rightly amazed. But some people come up with a theory. They think that Jesus might be using the power of Beelzebub to do these miracles, to drive out these demons. The, the prince of demons, the, the power of Satan, effectively. They're, apparently, they think that he could be using Satan's power to do these things. And, and, and then there are other people who go, yeah, nice sign. I'd like to see some more signs. Apparently, making a mute man speak isn't enough of a sign for them. They, they want more. Verse 15. But some of them said, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Okay, you see two responses to this uh, driving out the, the mute demon. Some people say he's using the power of Satan. Other people want more signs. Okay, those two things. Firstly, we deal with the people who say that he's driving out demons by the power of Satan. So Jesus deals with the idea that he's using Satan's power. He shows that it's, it's a ridiculous theory. It's just an excuse that people are coming up with so they don't have to, have to deal with him. You only need to look around at the world to see that Satan is strong. He's having a field day in this world. He has significant power over this fallen world. There is no way that he is divided against himself. There is no way that Satan could wreak the havoc that he wreaks in this world if he's involved in some kind of civil war with his own demons. It's a silly theory. Plus, Jesus says, the Jews had exorcists as well. He says, well, where do you think their power comes from? No one questions their power. The idea that Jesus is using Satan's power, it is a lame theory. It's just an excuse. It makes no sense. Verse 17. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? How is his kingdom like this? How can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. Jesus isn't using Satan's power, no way. Jesus is driving out demons by the power of God. And that shows that the kingdom of God has come because the king, King Jesus, is among them. Verse 20, But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, 
then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then Jesus talks about what's really happening. Satan is like a strong man and he holds this world captive. But Jesus is a stronger man and he is overpowering the devil. He is conquering the devil. He is setting free the devil's captives. Verse 21, when a strong man, this is talking about Satan, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, Jesus, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. That's what Jesus is doing. He's driving out demons by the power of God. He's setting people free from captivity to the devil. It is good news. But what it means is this. This is important. What it means is this. There's no neutral ground. You're either a captive to the devil or you're set free by Jesus. You're either a slave of the strong man or you've been set free by the stronger man. It, it's binary. You're with the devil or you're with Jesus on his team, serving him, working with him, gathering for him. Verse 23, whoever is not with me, says Jesus, is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus goes on more to, to talk more about this idea that there's no neutral ground. He uses an illustration. Um, you, might, you might think that you can be set free from the devil to then run your own life, to be in charge of your own life, to be master of the house of your life. It's not how it works, Jesus says. Jesus says, either the devil is ruling your house or Jesus is ruling the house of your life. No neutral ground, no possibility to be master of your own house. If Jesus were to set you free from the devil and then your house were left empty, without Jesus being your Lord, well, it's not going to stay empty. The devil will come back all the stronger and you'll be worse off than you were in the first place. Verse 24. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. You see the point? Can't be left empty. Either the devil is ruling or Jesus is ruling in the house of your life. Now, while Jesus is talking, a woman pipes up, uh, says, gee, it must be great to be your mum. And Jesus goes, it's not really the great thing. The great thing would be to listen to God's word and do what it says. The great thing would be to have me as the master of your house. Verse 27. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. 
Okay, you see where we've been so far? You had the miracle where Jesus drives out the demon that was making the man mute. Two responses. Some people saying he's using the power of Beelzebub, the power of Satan. Other people saying they want more signs. We've dealt with these people who say that he's using the power of the devil. It's, it's, it's a wrong theory. It's a lame theory. It's just an excuse. Jesus is not using the devil's power. He's using the power of God. He's conquering the devil. That means Jesus is king, but it also means this. There's no neutral ground. There's no empty house. You're either on Jesus' team or you're on the devil's team and you have to make a choice. In the next section now, Jesus deals with those people back in verse 16. You remember the second group of people who were looking for more signs? Looking for more signs. The healing of the mute man wasn't enough for them. Remember, Jesus has just driven out a demon. A man who could not speak can now speak. But these people, they won't commit. They're still not ready. They want more signs, more miracles, so they can check Jesus out and, uh, and, and, and make their decision when they're ready, pass their judgment on Jesus when they're ready. Jesus says they've got it completely upside down. Not a question of them judging him. Not a question of, oh, if I get around to it at some point at my convenience, if I have nothing better to do and I'm satisfied enough that Jesus has, has you know, been a good enough genie, then, I, then I'll make a call about him. No, no. Jesus says, unless they repent and submit to him, they're the ones who will be judged. Jesus says he's given plenty of signs. And there's another one coming, the sign of Jonah. He's going to die and rise again. He's given plenty of signs. Signs that show that he is greater than Solomon in the Old Testament. Signs that show that he is greater than Jonah in the Old Testament. And he says, back in the Old Testament, even pagans, even non-Jews like the Queen of Sheba repented when, when she heard Solomon's wisdom. Even the, the, the wicked people of Nineveh, they repented when they heard Jonah's preaching. He says, someone greater than Jonah, someone greater than Solomon is here. He's given enough signs. He says, you don't repent, well, it'll be worse for you on Judgment Day than for those Old Testament pagans. Verse 29. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Remember, Jesus is on this last journey now to Jerusalem. Most people won't get to see any more signs. He's on his way to die and rise again. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South, the Queen of Sheba, will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now someone greater than Jonah is here. Once again, can you see there's no neutral ground, and there's no time for messing around. People mustn't hold off making a decision until they've satisfied themselves that Jesus somehow meets their standards, because there's no safe place to stand while you make up your mind. People stand under the judgment of God. Jesus, the great king and judge, has come. He's offering to rescue people. He's offering them a place in his kingdom. The evidence is more than sufficient. The miracles, the teaching, ultimately his resurrection, they're, they're more than enough. And people need to stop procrastinating, stop vacillating, stop messing around. They need to submit themselves to Jesus or face the judgment and condemnation of God. This last little section is a little bit difficult. 
But I think in the flow of the passage, we'll see what it means. Just look with me at it. First thing, Jesus, he talks about how no one lights a lamp so that, no one, so that it's not going to be seen. He says, you light a lamp so everyone can see it. The idea is, Jesus is the lamp. And God has brought him to earth so everyone can see. Everyone can see who he is. He's like a light shining into the darkness. Verse 33. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it'll be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. The light is shining. God is shining the light of Jesus. And now people, they're either light or darkness. If they they let the light of Jesus shine into their lives, they will be lit up. But if they don't, they'll remain in darkness. Jesus uses the image of our eyes. Um, The idea that uh, if your eyes are open and they're working, when you see light, it lights everything up. It lights up your whole body. But if your eyes are blind, if, if they're wrong, then the light can shine, but you stay in darkness. You can't see anything. Once again, notice it's binary. There's no neutral ground. There's no in-between. There's no grey. You either have Jesus in your life and you are light or you don't and you are darkness. Verse 34, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is, full of, is also is full of light. But when they're unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. And so Jesus gives the point now. He says, you've got, to get my, you've got to let my light shine into you. You've got to accept me. Be lit up by me. Don't be full of darkness. Be full of light. Verse 35. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. Light or Darkness. Okay, fair bit there, but can you see what's here in Luke chapter 11? Uh, Can you see how it all flows from this one miracle where Jesus drives out the demon that was making the man mute? Okay, so you've got that miracle and then the two responses. You remember the two responses? Some people say he's using the power of Beelzebul, the power of Satan. Other people say, well, not enough, we want more signs. Okay, Jesus deals with the people who's saying that he's uh, using the devil's power. He says it's ridiculous. He's using God's power. He's overpowering the devil. He's setting people free from captivity of the devil. But that means people need to be on his team. You can't leave your house empty. It's either ruled by Satan or ruled by Jesus. One of the strong men has you under their control. Whoever is not for Jesus is against him. Then in terms of signs, Jesus has he's given plenty of signs. He's shown that he's greater than Solomon. He's shown that he's greater than, than Jonah. Even pagans in the Old Testament turned to God through Solomon and Jonah. Jesus is greater than either of them. The people need to stop messing around, stop making excuses, and repent. And that really, I think, is the theme of the whole passage, isn't it? You either belong to the light or to the darkness. You either belong to the devil or to Jesus. No neutral ground. No time to procrastinate, to not make a decision is to decide against Jesus. Did you get that? To not make a decision is to decide against Jesus. And that, I think, is the application for you and for me. And it's the application as we think about the world around us. We need to choose a side 
and we need to call on other people to choose a side. To not make a decision is to decide against Jesus. And just to illustrate further, I was very struck, I was uh, in my quiet time the other day, I was looking at uh, this verse from John chapter 3, verse 36, and uh, it's just a word in it that really struck me. Uh, have a look there. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. You can see again that it's binary. You have eternal life with Jesus. You won't see life if you reject Jesus. But the, the word that really struck me, the, word that, the vital word I think here, is the word remains. Can you see it there? For God's wrath remains on them. What, what, what does remains mean? It means, it means it stays where it already is. If I say to you, I'm remaining in church, okay, I'm saying that I'm in church and I'm not going anywhere. The point is this. God's wrath is already on people. God is already angry with everyone. And unless they put their faith in Jesus, God's wrath will remain on them. It'll stay right where it is. Do you notice God's wrath doesn't come onto you if you reject Jesus. God's wrath stays on you. Friends, people, Australians, they think they can stay neutral about Jesus. They think they can just avoid making a decision, hold off until a more convenient time, until their deathbed or something like that. They think they can remain undecided because they mistakenly believe that they're somehow okay with God as they are. They mistakenly believe that, that God will somehow accept them as they are. They mistakenly believe that there's some neutral ground they can stand on, but Jesus is perfectly clear in this passage. That is not how it is. On our own, we are not God's friends. On our own, we don't belong to God. On our own, we will not go to heaven. No, no, on our own, we are God's enemies. On our own, we are captives of the devil. On our own, we are under the wrath of and judgment of God and without Jesus that wrath and judgment will stay right where it is forever if you're not for Jesus you're against him this is not a decision that we can put off it's a little bit like with surgery there's such a thing as elective surgery for example, I could decide to get a nose job. And that is something elective. I can choose to do it. I can choose to not do it. Perhaps some people see my nose and think that it's more serious than that, but I think it's just elective. Okay, if I have the surgery, great. It'll add to my movie star appeal. But, but, but if I do nothing, if I vacillate, it's no big deal. I might not have the prettiest nose in history. It might reveal my Jewish heritage, but the nose I have will do me just fine. But it's not like that with terminal cancer. I saw this very vividly the other day. My wife was talking to one of her aunties the other day and um, she saw this big melanoma on her face. And this lady, her daughter died of melanoma. She's got this big melanoma on her face. And Carmelina says, it's all in Italian with lots of screaming, she says, you need to go to the doctor. You've got to get that biopsied and removed. Oh, maybe, said the auntie. I'm old now. And I'm not sure if I'll get around to it. No, said Carmelina. Not if you get around to it. Not if you feel like it. You need to get that removed or you will die a slow, agonizing, painful death. 
putting your faith in Jesus, it's not like elective surgery. You have to do it or face the dreadful eternal consequences. Friends, I hope you're not putting off trusting in Jesus. I hope you're not leaving it till you're older or until a more convenient time. Friends, the time is now. The day is today. You need to put your faith in Jesus now. The matter is urgent. You are in danger without him. And friends, friends, that's how it is with our family and friends who don't trust Jesus either. They might be nice people who've never really rejected Jesus and who support and encourage you. But if they haven't positively accepted Jesus, they are not okay with God. Their decision not to decide is a decision against Jesus. Did that make sense? I just made it up in my head. Their decision not to decide is a decision against Jesus. Now, they might not want to hear it. They, they might not want you to push them and to say they have to make a decision. They, they might be very uncomfortable. It might be, it might be scary to do something like that. It's certainly countercultural, isn't it? But friends, it's too important. Don't wait. Don't put off talking to them until some other time. Don't wait till it's convenient or it's comfortable. The situation is way too urgent. Uh, one of our elders was telling me the other day about his, his Bible study. He's in one, one of the 1045 Bible studies, and their mission partner is Igal Vender. Has anybody else got Igal Vender as their mission partner in the evening service? No, one of the 1045 services does. And um, Igal's a missionary, he's in Israel, and he's often out on the streets talking to Jewish people, anybody who'll listen, about Jesus. Now, in this video call, one of the Bible study members said to Igal, have you had any trouble? Have you faced any opposition from people who, who, who don't want to be confronted by Jesus? And he said, yeah, yeah, we, we get a bit. Um, we're often insulted. Um, people say that we're traitors against our own people. They say that we're worse than the Nazis. The Nazis just took our bodies, but we want to take the, the souls of the Jews. And we've had people spit on us. And we've had people throw tomatoes at us and threaten to kill us. Someone said to a girl, what's the thing that scares you the most? And Igal paused and then he gave an answer that surprised everybody. He said, the thing that scares me the most? He said, God. God scares me the most. He's way scarier than any of these people. He's most scary. And so I'm just going to stay on his side and keep telling them about Jesus. I reckon that's a really helpful perspective, don't you? As the Bible says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, Jesus said, don't, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. We're not in a neutral position. And our friends and family are not in a neutral position. Without Jesus, they are living under the anger and judgment of God. That's, something to, that's, that's the thing we should be really scared of. Well, friends, I hope the point is clear. Uh, when it comes to Jesus, you can't be Switzerland. You're either for him or you're against him. You're either gathering with him or you're scattering. So, friends, we need to choose sides. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you 
that you have looked with mercy on us, hopeless, helpless sinners who have rebelled against you and who rightly deserve your judgment and condemnation and anger. Thank you that you have loved us and that you've given Jesus to live and die and rise again from the dead so we can be rescued from your wrath and anger and so that we can be with you for eternity, forgiven and accepted as your children. Heavenly Father, help us to see the urgency of this and so help us to be for Jesus and to be gathering with him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.